welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. I have one of our good friends with us today, Kim Rogers from Medtronic. Kim, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role over at Medtronic. So thanks, Kelly and Justin, for having me. My name is Kim Rogers. I work in a digital role within the Medtronic Spine Division here out of Memphis, Tennessee. And my role focuses largely on both physicians and surgeons, but digital activities to both of those audiences geared towards really helping our surgeons understand our therapies and technologies that can help them treat their patients. And then from a patient perspective, really helping our patients understand certain technologies and therapies that, you know, they actually have a choice in when it comes to their health care. So all focused on those audiences and, and really with a heavy focus on the digital realm. Well, definitely perfect fit for our podcast yeah, today as we're talking healthcare marketing and there's so much to dive in here. And like you said, you're really focused more on the spine side, but it's all about providing those resources for your physicians, your patients and, and helping them as an extension of Medtronic, understand and navigate this marketing world. So what do you think is the biggest issue providers are having to connect with new patients, Kim? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest issues is the fact of just understanding how patients are seeking information now more than ever and having this great appreciation that Google is at anyone's fingertips, right? It's on our phone, it's on our laptop, and knowing that patients largely are going to Google to look for solutions to maybe a symptom that they're having or going to Google to look for a provider and just really understanding the power of that platform and knowing how patients are using it. Yeah, I think that that's a really great point. And I think physicians, I mean, COVID's kind of forced them to have to rethink that and take it seriously because you even have provider practices that book out months in advance and now they're trying to figure out, well, how do I engage with patients when they don't walk through the door anymore? And, and really understanding that ecosystem, I think is critical. And, and I think one of the big foundational pieces to start with it, because it's what Google uses to, to read it. And I know Kim, you and I have talked about it a lot is the practice or provider's website and the role that that should be playing in several different factors, not only from increasing your SEO, which we'll talk about in a little bit more later, but also, I mean, just straight up giving patients the information they need. So what do you think that the website, a practice provider website plays as far as in the greater marketing ecosystem? Yeah, I think uh, number one, if played well, it's going to help you be discovered, right? And I know we're going to talk about those SEO factors that helps you you know, get discovered within Google. But, you know, w once the patient does locate the website and land on the website, it's a critical role in really nurturing the patient along that pathway to give them confidence that they're choosing the right provider and doing so with the right content and allowing patients to interact in the right way. So, uh, you know, it just, it plays a critical role. I think it's the first step, obviously, in the face of the surgeon or the practice. And a, a lot of attention should be given to the website and understanding that that patient care path and how patients think through choosing their healthcare provider. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned using Google as a tool and, and what's better way than your website. But I mean, don't you agree, Kim, how many physicians out there are really aware of the data or the resources that their website is providing. Like I know Justin and I get a lot of questions about 
competitors ranking or how they can rank more effectively. And it seems to be this misunderstanding if their website's even effective. So how do you know if your website is effective, Kim? Yeah, you know, I I can speak to what we use with Medtronic, but Google Analytics is your friend. And that's obviously a tool that anyone can use when they have their website. And so being able to just be familiar with that data, some of the triggers that we look at personally within my industry are our visitors, where are the visitors coming from, what are they doing in terms of page engagements, is, is one item more useful than the other, right, in terms of something that's been clicked on or viewed or downloaded. So um, all those data elements are important, and I don't think providers are largely aware that the level of detail that Google Analytics can provide to them. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's a free tool and one of the most powerful tools as somebody that owns an agency, as well as just what providers need to be thinking at is even if it's something that you're not familiar enough with or don't want to dive too deep into yourself in the weeds, if you are working with someone, that should be a non-negotiable. I mean, you should be seeing the data that lives on your site. And I think to your point, Kim, the major things that that we deliver to our clients, but I just think in general, when you think about what should you as a C-suite level individual be kind of focusing on when it comes to your site analytics and that site visitor growth is obviously critical, but if you don't take it a step deeper, I think it can be a vanity metric that can make you feel really cozy. Like, oh, we have Mm -hmm. 20,000 visitors on our site. Well, most of them are from Russia. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And so really looking at obviously geographical location. And again, without getting too far in the weeds, this is data that's already should be available to you as a practice owner. So either you go exploring and find it or require that out of whoever you're engaging with. But where are your visitors coming from, from a geolocation standpoint? Like if you're in Manhattan, you want a bulk majority of your visitors to be coming from a drivable distance to there. And the other side is your important conversion metrics people booking appointments, people filling out forms, people calling, all of that information, if it's hooked up correctly, should be available to you from a data standpoint. And at the end of the day, as you know, Kim, is getting a lot of eyeballs on your site is great, but it's all about getting patients through the door. And do you feel, Kim, that you're constantly reminding some of these physicians, or maybe it's new to them, is kind of bringing this world of Google Analytics and data to them that they can feel confused or lost or maybe things they haven't even seen ever before. Do you think that's something that you deal with a lot in the field? Or do you think physicians are starting to better understand the importance of this data and how often to review it? You know, it's interesting. It's a little bit of a mix, but for the most part, the surgeons that I've spoken with, when someone is come to us and is interested in our patient education resources and and driving awareness and this topic comes up, for the most part, they're unaware. And, you know, I can appreciate why they're unaware, honestly, because they're surgeons, right? Their focus should be on patient care and outcomes and they're busy. They're seeing people in their clinic and their practice. But once it is brought to their attention that the Google My Business tool is free, right, the eyes start to really lighten up. I think yeah. they kind of get, once you're able to explain why surgeon XYZ or competitor XYZ is appearing, um, you can see the wheels start to turn. And, you know, I always encourage surgeons to 
really rely on people that have the expertise. I mean, if they're a go-getter and they have the time to dig into all that, that's fantastic. But at least hold someone, like you said, Justin, accountable to providing you with that data, being able to set out a plan of what you want to achieve and go over it, but definitely use the tool, right? Because it's free. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and I want to pick out one thing because I think it'll take us kind of into our next thing is why your competitors are showing up. So we've already talked about kind of the importance that your site plays, but I'd really like to kind of as a next step get into, especially we can use a spinal surgeon or their website as a good example through this conversation for obvious reasons, but really want to talk about kind of unpacking that box and taking it down a level of why your competitors or why you are showing up in Google and all of those factors that are at play and try to really take that. So kind of getting started is really, really simply, what is the first thing that you usually do, Kim, when a provider comes to you and is like, I'd like to improve my marketing when it comes to Google? What is the first thing that you usually do? Yeah. So my first action and always to then their recommendation is Google yourself. Like you almost have to have that state of what I like to call as digital health, because every surgeon is going to come to me with a different background. Some have been in practice in their location for a long time. Some are brand new and they have moved. And so that aspect of really typing in your name, their name, and seeing how they appear is critical to understanding what Google has tagged them and, you know, what has been indexed according to their name. We've seen a lot of opportunity just from doing that simple one-time task where people coming out of fellowship have totally forgotten that they changed their address and vitals or health grades or some third-party directory still has their address listed as the incorrect address. So for me, that's always step number one is just doing a little bit of research. <laughs> it's always interesting and shocking. It's oh, always yeah. the funny conversations as far as like, keep it simple, stupid is have you Googled yourself? Are you aware that they say you're in Louisiana? That's right. <laughs> Oh my goodness, really? It's like, yep, that was that easy. Just go Google yourself. <laughs> and I think the other thing that points out, and I know we're going to get to this point, is just seeing how either consistent or inconsistent their name appears. Yeah. Right? Do they have a middle initial sometimes? Do they go by a official longer name, Matt versus Matthew? You know, where's that consistency? Because as you guys know, it's all about being consistent. And it sounds probably really simple when it's spoken to with the surgeons, but that simplicity, or I should say repeatability, is really Google needs to know who you are, right? And they only know that by matching with accuracy. For sure. And if you, Speak to the why, like why does that consistency in your NAP, which is an, an acronym we use, which stands for name, address, phone number, kind of like your business card information like you were talking about is why does that consistency matter and why should I care about it? And if you take it down to its most basic level as far as what ball game Google is in, they're in a search experience ball game. And so they want you as the searcher, in this case being a patient, to have the best search experience every single time and to provide you the most accurate answer to your search query every single time. So if you're going in and you're typing in, whether it's you're looking for a spine surgeon near me or a particular provider's name, the more inaccurate that data is, the less likely you're going to show up because of the less confidence Google has in they're going to present something like I just said earlier that a guy that could be in another state 
or the wrong phone number or the wrong website. And you're going to start showing up a whole lot less if those are not consistent. And two, this has happened to me. Think about the frustration of the potential patient who is searching for said provider, right? And maybe they know their name precisely and they type it in, but they land on a location that's not the location they're looking for. Do you think they're going to find you in the other location? No. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And so taking it one step further, and it's so important, I want to talk about it as its own standalone kind of listing and conversation is what you alluded to is your Google My Business. So talk to the listeners a little bit about A, what is a Google My Business? And then we can talk a little bit more about the things they need to be doing to optimize that Google My Business. Yeah, so when I explain Google My Business to surgeons, I'd like to explain it as, you know, when any one of us are doing that search, and maybe I'm looking for a painter near me, a painter in my said geography, the Google My Business listing is a business listing as it sounds. And the purpose of it is Google is trying to attempt based on words that I've used, match and find a business, right, that matches the criteria that I'm looking for, also in my said geography. So it's really your gateway, what I like to talk about, to being found locally through local search. And it's a free tool, right? You There's tags in there that allow you to state that you're a healthcare provider uh, versus a bakery, et cetera. And so the, the, the platform walks you through it, but it's really your, your gateway to being discovered in Google, especially relative to local search. Absolutely. That's 100% right. And I think when you're looking at what matters the most as a provider, so now you know what a Google My Business is, or maybe you already did, but you haven't taken the time to go in and optimize it, and Kim just hit on it, is outside of your kind of name, address information that you need to make sure is 100% right, probably the most important thing if you want to make a dent in local rankings is that category of choice. You want to make a really really specific and strategic selection. Most people don't know you can choose one primary category. So say we're talking about spine surgeons, it could be orthopedic surgeon, it could be sports medicine surgeon, it could be whatever you think is a best fit. Then there are up to four additional categories. So say you're an orthopedic surgeon that does mainly sports medicine, you would choose your sports medicine doctor as your primary, and then you'd want to do orthopedic surgeon and a couple other categories, because that's going to give you the biggest likelihood of ranking for the most things. So I'd always say is outside of without getting too into it, outside of just getting your Google My Business set up and claimed that the next most important thing when you're filling it all out is the selection of your category. Because I've seen too many doctors either just, too many surgeons just either label themselves as doctor or medical clinic, and you're putting yourself into the complete wrong bucket, which is just setting you way back before you ever even get started. Justin, do you have any thoughts on, with Google My Business for the listeners, you can add images? I always enjoy seeing images. I'm a visual learner. Do you encourage your clients to, if they have those images, go ahead and put the face of their business up there and take advantage of being able to include images? I do. I, I think a general <laughs> rule of thumb across the board is the more you can fill out and complete, the better you're going to perform because Google wants to see whoever it is, if it's your Facebook page or it's whatever it may be, the more complete it is, your LinkedIn profile, all those things, the better you're going to perform. So I think 
images are really critical. And if you just look at the eyeballs that people put onto images, especially if we're talking about providers, is providers are unique in the sense that outside of maybe attorneys, they're like the only ones that can have a person-based Google My Business. You need to get all of your headshot photos. If you've had the luxury of taking patient point of care photos, I get your interior, exterior office photos. Again, it's just all about creating a sense of security and a no like and trust relationship with patients that are searching for you online. And the more of those visuals you have, the more of a, this is a real person. This is what they look like. This is what their office looks like. This is what I perceive as an interaction would be like with them. I think it's absolutely critical and it's going to help not only convert the eyeballs that do find your page, but help you rank above competitors. Talk about images. Justin and I were on vacation and we talked about Googling yourself and we were looking up, was it a restaurant at the beach house? Yes. <laughs> but this is important for what you guys are saying and how important it is for the images because even as a physician liaison, I used to Google a lot of physicians and practices and try to find them in the area to go visit. And you would be surprised from the visions and images that pop up, but on our vacation, we searched for a restaurant. And what was the picture, Justin? <laughs> Wasn't it um, of Total Rumble? Because it was from Mexico Beach, Florida. So naturally, the image that popped up was a completely oh, yeah. oh, demolished no, it was a, oh, building. Gosh. It was a, um, a wellness center because you're thinking right. about getting okay, a massage so a on vacation. <laughs> yeah, and it was a completely destroyed and leveled building. I was like, I don't know if this is what this person is trying to communicate in their Google My Business. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's good that you brought that Nothing up. Nothing says open like a pile of rubble. But your images do say a lot, especially about your practice. And you want to make sure not only it's the correct images, but what do you want your patients to yes. see first? And when we're talking about Google My Business, I know you guys talked a lot about having it accurate, having it precise, and utilizing it to its utmost ability. But you guys forgot to mention reputation. And I know with any physician or healthcare community, reputation can be everything, not only in driving new patients, but even with your outreach efforts. If you don't have a great reputation, if you don't have your patients speaking your praises, you can lose a lot of potential new patients. So let's talk a little bit about why reviews even matter? You know, for for me, uh, I mean, this just drills down to the fact that all of us like to hear from others. And that includes the healthcare space. So I think the more anyone can help their patient share their experience, the more familiar and I guess real the patient thinks the surgeon is. I do get questions on, uh, you know, kind of weighing the good with the bad. And I know the research that I've read says that Google doesn't expect for you to have a five-star rating all the time, right? Because then if you do that, it's not looking very authentic. So I do encourage our surgeons when we have this conversation is to, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. You're a real person, right? We're all real. We're not going to have a hundred percent likability and I think that score, and Justin, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, I think that Google rating score, they want it to be around like a 4.2, right? Five would be the five star because there's going to be instances when things don't go right. And I think the value of that is proving to the reviewer or the person reading the content of how you reacted to it. We're humans, right? And things are, are going to go wrong. So reviews to me are very important because it shows that you're real 
you know, it also is an extension of someone else's experience and, and building advocacy for you. So true, especially oh, yeah. with some reviews. I mean, patients are smart. They can oh, sure. help themselves understand a practice better. I know whenever I'm looking at reviews, when I'm looking at negative reviews, it's not necessarily that they have them as much as what is the negative review. Because a lot of physicians and practices, there's things that are out of their control or maybe just really common negative experiences like long wait times or patients not understanding their insurance policies. So they're a little bit upset about that. So when you're a new patient and you're reading a review about that, it's easier for you to decide if this is an actual patient experience or patient care issue, or maybe it's something a little bit more common to their personal situation that wouldn't be relevant to you as a new patient. So I think that's a really good point that you bring up. It's not about being the perfect surgeon or practice as much as it is about having honest, open reviews. And of course, making sure we're really active in collecting these reviews so that of course we want more positive than negative. But if there is negative, a patient can go through those reviews and better understand if it's something that's going to relate to their care. Yeah. And on top of it, I mean, data just doesn't lie. I mean, it was 70%, I think three or four years ago. Uh, last year when I did a presentation on it, it was 80%. And they're saying it's encroaching on 90% of patients look at one or more reviews for a provider or practice before they book an appointment. And that's just, that's a most common pushback that I hear that you mentioned is, well, I'm going to just open myself up to bad reviews. And that statistic right there alone should speak volumes from a pros and cons perspective is it's too important for you to not do it. And you are getting negative reviews consistently. There is some level of address that needs to occur, whether it's your bedside manner. That's right. Or it's, or it's Susie at the front desk or whatever it is. But if you are avoiding it, I tell people all the time, you're just asking to get crushed by your competitors. So then you, you just got to figure out a solution for it. And, and knowledge is powerful, right? So the example that you gave, maybe it is Susie at the front desk. And, and in your review collection, if that is consistent, that that's an opportunity, right? But if you ignore that and don't even create the path to either number one, collect them or number two, read them, you're never going to be able to address what's happening within your practice. So uh, you got to take the good with the bad and, sure. uh, and, and have it as an opportunity for improvement, just like bad data. I completely agree. And I think another thing too is, and I've seen a slew of a, a wide range of success. I always just go back to lean on, if you're going to go through this process of review generation, I think you should lean on some level of sophistication as far as software and using and leveraging the software. I've seen plenty of people that it's just ingrained in them to ask. And because of that, they've generated hundreds of reviews. The reality is, is it's an afterthought for providers. So you need to be leveraging something that can make it very seamless in your already existing workflows. Because the more you rely on human, the more human error will occur. And so leveraging a software that will allow you in a HIPAA compliant manner, because we are dealing with pH, the flow of PHI is making sure that you can automate as much of that process while being safe and secure to try to get as close to the point of service. So when a patient gets checked out as possible, because if you just simply by asking, you'll be shocked at the number of people that are willing to leave a review that are happy, not, not unhappy. Well, when, 
we talk to a lot of our physicians. It's always about getting their voice heard, getting their message heard and making sure they're standing out. And I know, Kim, you run into all sorts of sizes of practices, physicians from hospital affiliations, huge, large groups to independent spine surgeons. So what do you think as far as these independent spine surgeons or even large spine surgeons can do to create their own voice and stand out in some of these huge organizations. So if they're part of a large hospital group or maybe just part of a mega practice, what are great ways marketing wise that they can get their voice out there? Yeah, you know, this one is a tough one because I certainly have surgeons that do come to me that are employed through the hospital, right? So they have limitations or they are in a larger practice and maybe there's a a senior partner there that gets the lion's share. But when it comes to that, there's two things I always ask or several things I ask. But the, the first one is, I mean, what are your channels and what are your opportunities to get your voice out there? And what I mean by that is, do they have any sort of say within their social media platforms that they can get their voice out there? Do they have any say in any aspect of the updates to their web page that they can get their voice out there? Can they add a video to their web page? You know, sometimes it's a matter of adding more information and helping people understand who they are. But those are some of the things that I go to first. And if the surgeon is able, and sometimes they are, I encourage them to create their own website that obviously points back to, especially if they're employed through the hospital, that points back to the institution of where they practice and get their voice out that way on their own. And of course, you know, acknowledge the hospital. But that one is a tough question. And uh, it's always a unique situation and what they are allowed and not allowed to do. Great suggestions because patients want to connect with the specialist. They want to hear it from them themselves. They want to feel that they're understanding their provider. I mean, one of the greatest positive reviews patients leave is that they get quality time with a provider. And I feel like when providers, like you said, piggybacking on the fact of using video, maybe creating an independent website dedicated to patient education, resources, and information is such a fabulous way to stay connected with patients, stay engaged. And then they feel like maybe they are getting more of that quality time and better understand that provider. I just, I couldn't agree more. And I think it is key because we, I mean, Kim, you, you even more than then we do get approached a lot about physicians kind of fighting to get their head above water and make their own space and their own thought leadership. And a lot of times it's just simply the conversation of have you even asked? Like I can't help you unless you help yourself by asking what we can and can't do. Because if there's no documentation on it, then the world's our oyster. If it's like you can't do anything but post videos on your LinkedIn. Okay, we'll work with that. We'll figure it out. Right. We get asked it so much, so I couldn't imagine a large hospital ecosystem isn't just fielding that question every week. So they, most of them already have guidelines and protocols and what you can and can do in place and just simply go ask them. So that way there can be a plan built around what, you, what is available to you from a resource perspective. And invest in it. Yeah. I agree. And you know, one of the things I recently brought up with the surgeon, we were kind of struggling in this topic was I encouraged this particular person to figure out if they could group, and you'll know where I'm going in a minute, if they could group the patients that they saw and the conditions that they saw by season. And what I meant by that was if I go back to the days of working in the hospital, I first started out as an x-ray tech. In the fall, when school started, football season started, we would always have a Friday night influx of these players getting hurt, right? Yep. And so when I gave that analogy of 
um, football season, you know, high school kids coming in with injuries, deer season is fixing to be upon us, deer stand injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It started clicking with this person that I was speaking with. And I said, so maybe you guys can look at approaching, because it was a, a bigger practice, look at approaching the hospital relative to their social media calendar and content strategy and seeing if there's a way you can create relevance on those topics, right? And so now you're generating interest, you're getting your voice out there, and hopefully you'll be that person that that individual thinks of when XYZ happens. And, you know, that's a thought that I don't think people think through is trying to put, you know, some conversation around seasonality of certain diseases, not all, right? But just some of those those instances. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. And and to that point, it was one that we didn't cover too much is when we were talking about the SEO side. But if you are able to create your own website, or if you're out there and you're a practice and you already have your own website, going back to what you just said, Kim, is is if you want to rank for it, like if there are things that you offer, you do, you provide, whether it's surgeries or issues that you fix, like conditions those kind of things, if you want to rank well for them, and I say this at a 30,000 foot level, you need a page for them. Like Google's looking for that specific content. And if you go do a search for um, knee replacement specialist near me or spine fusion near me, that local three pack, that Google My Business that we were just talking about, you'll literally see it in action because it'll say their website mentions whatever it is you are searching for. And that's a direct correlation between what Google's finding on your site and what they believe it is you do. And that correlation can never be made if you don't have really good, thorough, focused content on those things that matter the most to you as a surgeon. Absolutely. It's interesting because I recently had a call with a surgeon and as I said before, I went online, did my research and, you know, kind of had a feel for who he was, definitely looked at the website, value propositions, et cetera. But when I got on the call, I discovered this particular person was treating patients and adults, but the website didn't depict that at all. And so I think that that component of making sure that your website visually speaks to not only those conditions and treatments, but what you do is so important, right? Because we all just have that first glance and want to know that we've arrived at the right spot. So. Oh, absolutely. That is, that is super critical. Don't fall prey to the dreaded bulleted list of what you do. <laughs> you can take it a step further, don't do it. Stay away from it. Right. So as Medtronic Spine, with all of this that we've talked about, about navigating the waters of marketing, growing your thought leadership, developing content, it's all consuming and it's never ending too. I mean, I mean, just being in this space full time as the day job, so to speak, it's something new every day. And you know that too, Kim. So what are y'all doing at Medtronic Spine to provide your clients when they do come to you with these questions, undoubtedly, whether they get a new machine or they're doing a new procedure, what resources are you guys providing to them to help them navigate the waters? Yeah. So, I mean, all of our, if you think about like our larger investment capital purchases, you know, or, or high price tag items, those come with, if you will, I say come with, that we, we create hospital marketing kits around those level of, of purchases. And within that, there's 
images in there, there's videos, there's examples of press release templates, there's examples of social media posts, and it's really a kit intended to, you know, help them get off the ground. Now, if it's not that level of a capital purchase, but a surgeon, let's say, that has you know, adopted a new procedure or a new therapy with Medtronic, then we have a host of content there as well. And it, and it all stems around education, ways that we can give them tools and resources to help educate their patients locally on the technology or the procedure. And you handle a lot. I mean, you take a lot of time out of your day because I've even been a part of several of them to, to really sit down with doctors and answer these exact questions that we're talking about. Like, Googling them, be like, you know, you're it's telling people you're in another state. Like, we need to get that. Like, that's where it starts. It's like you need to focus on how you're being represented online, and then start thinking about X, Y, and Z, so they have some more parameters. So you're doing that a lot yourself, aren't you? I do. So we had a, a segment within uh, Medtronic Spine a couple of years ago that was focused on e-business strategies, and long story short, some of those resources shifted over to our U.S. marketing group and shifted to me. And as part of that, through our compliance process, I am allowed to talk about digital marketing best practices, how to be discovered online, as long as that is coupled and blended with educating surgeons on the products and therapies that match that. And so, yeah, Justin, you and I have had those calls. I have calls with surgeons about that. And really, I think the good thing about that conversation is it's not my word. It's Google best practices, right? And these are resources that anyone can find. I just happen to have a passion for collecting those things and kind of funneling them together and kind of easy wins, if you will, that's easy to digest for a surgeon versus um, trying to figure that on their own. Because commonly when someone says, I want to do X, Y, Z, Kelly, you know this, they don't realize the magnitude of that question, right? So we always have to step back and say, let's talk about the, you know, creating a foundation of your house, right? And for me, the digital presence and then a really good website go hand in hand, right? Because the last thing you want is for them to find you and then get to your website and not feel confident that they've clicked that link and found the right person. So there's a little bit of housekeeping that happens. For sure. And that's so true because we deal with that a lot as and it's, it's just kind of the ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Like you don't realize how much, how many moving parts are in that. And so I always like to kind of, let's go back to kind of the granular basics here. Cause if I think I put all of that together <laughs> in a conceptual scope for you, it's going to be really overwhelming. And it really, at the end of the day, it's better done in, in bite sizes. And first you need to understand kind of what the ecosystem looks like. So that's a, that's a really good point is let's, let's go all the way back to the basics here. And, and a lot of the doctors, I think once you explain and listening to this podcast, it, it can be a light bulb moment once you understand how Google works and why you do need a website and why you do need to do reviews and why you do need to do listings. And you really do understand kind of, it's like this puzzle floating around everywhere. And as the pieces start to fall into place and you, and you get a better mental understanding of it, then it's like, ah, now I get it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be complex, but I think, as you said, when you, when you take them in bite-sized pieces and really understand the pieces of the puzzle, you know, it's their algorithm, but it, it does start coming together a little bit more clearly. And marketing will always be a complex world of lots of choices. But like you said, it's about best practices and not as much about how to choose what you need to do as far as 
getting it done correctly. Kim, you're part of a large organization in a senior position. And I have to ask this question before we wrap up this podcast. As your position entails, you work not only with physicians, but you work with marketing departments and teams. So how are you staying engaged during COVID with your team to make sure these initiatives are getting done? I know we do a lot of Zoom calls, but things have changed. So can you talk a little bit about that for our audience? I know a lot of reps, liaisons, and even healthcare admins are interested in how a business and someone in your position at Medtronic is continuing to pivot during this COVID crisis. Yeah, so there's definitely for us no no shortage of uh, Zoom meetings and WebExes, whichever is your preferred platform. But one of the ways that I would say that we stay connected is we, obviously we have standing meetings. So we personally, our, our group has a communication meeting every Monday. And so we really look at what's coming ahead for the week. We also have been utilizing Microsoft Teams, right? So that we can have all of our content there pulled together and really strategize from that perspective, especially when it comes to to projects. And then, you know, from a, a personal perspective, I, I just think we like each other. So we don't hesitate to pick up the phone or send a text message just because we truly do care about each other. But yeah, no, no shortage of, of Zoom meetings, definitely a lot of use of technology and really just continuing to pick up the phone and call each other and make sure that you know, everyone still is in good mental health. Well, that's good advice. It's all about just staying as connected as possible. So thank you so much for joining us today on today's episode. And thank you, Justin, for joining us as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Kim. We really enjoyed having you. I know the listeners are going to get so much out of this is hearing it from your side and all of the conversations that you have on a daily basis with, with surgeons and the questions that they're asking and the things that really matter the most to them. So thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.